Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message from Dylan Long. Thank you so much, Pastor Alex. It's always good having a free Instagram shout out. That was a great introduction, I must say. No pressure. How are you guys doing? Are you excited to be in church? Yeah. I've got to say, I was pleasantly surprised at how alive the 9 a.m. services. They set a standard for you guys this morning. So I'm going to judge who's more lively, who says amen more. I said earlier that last year I was preaching at a church and I was at a youth group and somebody hiding in the back row shouted out halfway through my sermon, preach at white boy. <laughs> Since that happened, anything's become okay in the sermon? I, I lost train of thought completely where I was, what I was preaching, what country I was in, because he caught me so off guard. So as punishment to him, I said, I'm going back to my introduction. I'm starting again, the whole sermon. But there we go. Thank you. It's an incredible privilege to be here. Um, I love your pastors, by the way. The whole front row, all of them, you guys are amazing. And I have my good friend David with me. Um, your pastors are amazing for many reasons, but I know Men are good men when I play golf for them, and they don't throw one club the whole day. And neither of them threw a club, which that's a sign they're very Jesus-like. I've seen a lot of people throw clubs playing golf. But they're amazing, and I'm excited to be here. I was in New Zealand for a few weeks before this, and it was an incredible time. I want to share one quick testimony with you. I was in one of the churches in New Zealand, and I firmly believe that it's always God's will to heal. I don't believe it's something that he sometimes does. He does. Sometimes he chooses not to do. If you look through your Bible, every person that came to Jesus received healing. Which yeah, that's an interesting thought, because it's not every person that he went to received healing, but every person that came to him. Because if it was every person he went to, it would show us that he was choosing who to go to, who deserved healing. That wasn't the case. It was anybody that was hungry enough to get into his presence... As soon as they came into contact with him, they received it, which shows that anybody that comes to him, it's his will to heal. So I was in New Zealand, and the crowd was praying for each other, because I believe everybody can heal the sick. It's not a calling for specific people. It's every Christian has access to healing the sick. And a woman came forward to testify, and she came up on stage, and she said she was born with a spinal condition where parts of her spine are missing at birth. And... She began to say that she could never bend down and touch her toes. She was unable to do that. She came up on stage. She felt fire in her back. And even while she was praying from the stage, she could feel movement in her back. Popping was happening in her back. And she began to touch her toes and do things she'd never been able to do her whole life. She sent me an Instagram message afterwards. And she said that she went home. And for her son, who's 10 years old, for the first time in his whole life, he saw his mom jump on the trampoline with him. Because she was unable to do that. Amazing. And then it got even better. She had partial deafness in an ear and she started complaining because it was too loud. Her ear opened. She was like, you need to stop speaking so loud. I was like, you need to chill. I'm not speaking loud. I'm getting offended. I'm trying to whisper and you're still saying I'm too loud. And God opened her ear. And the same God that was there a few weeks ago is in the room this morning. And sometimes we can actually forget that we don't come here just to hear about God or read the word, which that's all amazing. But we also come here to actually be with the person of Jesus. The Bible promises me and it promises you that if two or more are gathered in his name, I don't know why you came, but I came for Jesus. And if you came for Jesus, he promises that he's in the midst of us, which that means that 2,000 years ago in that grave with that smelly dead body, Jesus has been decomposing for three days. A power entered into that grave and he came back to life. That same power that was there is here in this room today. 
which that means you might have come here with problems, with mountains, with obstacles, with hurdles, and you might even just be visiting today. If you're visiting, welcome. But you come in here with those problems, and I'm sure whatever problem you're facing is not as big as being dead and decomposing in a grave for three days. And if that power can do that, he can take care of your problem. Amen? So I'm believing that the Holy Spirit's going to do miracles. Before I go any further, I am from South Africa. For all of you who are wondering where that accent is from, it's the team that beats you in rugby and often loses to you in cricket. I get it. But that's not, that's not for right now. Are you guys happy that Steve Smith is okay? Any cricket fans in the house? Not really. Okay, that's okay. We're going to read a Bible verse. Let's read a Bible verse. Okay. We're going to turn to Mark 16. Some big fans of Mark in the house. Matthew, Mark. If you're looking forward, it's page 1,270. We're going to be reading from Mark 16, verse 15. I'm going to start in 15, mainly because I like 15 and I have the mic. So this is what it says. It's it's Jesus speaking before he goes um, to be with the Father. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Next. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. I'm going to focus on just that sentence for just a second because I love the word believe right there. Oftentimes in the church, you and I can almost get caught in this thing of these signs will follow those who are an evangelist, those who are called, maybe those who have the mic or those who God is choosing to move through. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Who, who in here believes in Jesus? If you aren't, hopefully by the end of today, that can change. But it says these signs will follow those who believe, believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. That shouldn't apply to you. Don't be taking up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, Starbucks, it'll by no means hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. I love that promise from Jesus because he's saying, if you believe, this is actually a promise for you. He's saying, if you believe in him and you have relationship with God, this should all be normal. Casting out demons, healing the sick, laying your hands on the sick. It's a promise from him to say, if you're a believer, these signs should be going behind each one of us. Not the few that are called, not the few in certain positions or if you have the mic, but simply if you believe, this all should be normal. And that's what he's saying. And that's kind of what I want to speak on this morning. But if it's okay, just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Holy Spirit, we love you so much. We just welcome you in this place. We thank you that you promised to be here with us because we came for you, Jesus. God, I pray that nobody leaves here the same, including myself this morning. That we leave here a little bit more like you. We leave here shining with your face, Jesus. That your word promises that we no longer live, but you live through us. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd have your way and touch people in this room. That you will confirm your word as it's preached. In Jesus' name, amen. How many army movie fans do we have in the house? Anybody love watching army? Some of your hands went up quick. A lot of guys normally do it. Some girls, girls, no shame. You don't have to like rom-coms. You are welcome to like army movies. I give you permission. There's an army movie called The Lone Survivor. Anybody watched it? One, two, a lot. Okay, The Lone Survivor, if you haven't heard of it or watched it, I'm going to share the story with you because I have the mic and I can. What happens in The Lone Survivor, it's actually a true story. These four men that are part of the Marines of the Marine Corps get dropped into northern Afghanistan. And they get dropped in in the middle of the night. And the story goes that it's pouring down rain. They're in a mountainous area. 
and all night they're slipping and sliding through the mountains. And the goal of their mission is to simply go into northern Afghanistan, into enemy forces, into enemy territory. And while they're there, they're simply just reconning one of the leaders of the baddies. I just said baddies. Let's go with bad guys, because I'm not six years old. Bad. They reconning the leader of the bad guys. And while they're out there reconning the leader of the bad guys, the goal is to simply find him, see where he is, and then get evacuated out and report to the base so that they can come in and do an airstrike at a later time. And the story goes on that while these four Marines are slipping and sliding through the mountains in the pouring rain in the middle of the night, as the sun starts to rise, they happen to stumble upon three shepherds who are just looking after sheep and goats, just doing their thing. That's not a good morning for you if you're one of those shepherds. You're looking after your sheep and suddenly four guys with guns are pointing them at you and you're just doing what you do every morning. And the story goes that the four Marines obviously have to capture these three shepherds and suddenly they have this problem because what are they going to do with them? If they let them go, they'll obviously tell the enemy forces that the Marines are there. If they tie them up and leave them there, they'll realize they're missing. And if they kill them, that's not really fair because these shepherds didn't do anything wrong. So in the movie, what happens is they, they have a vote off. Who votes for this? Who votes? I don't think that's how it went down. I can't see the army choosing to vote. But one of the guys, one of the leaders probably made a call, and they made the call to let them go because they didn't deserve to die. And they said, we're going to abort the mission and get out of here because our mission has been compromised. And the true story goes, after two or three hours of trying to escape, suddenly they're surrounded by over 200 enemy forces, which is not a good situation, Right? They're surrounded, it's the four of them with over 200 people with guns shooting at them. And there's a scene in the movie that happens in all army movies that only one person has a phone, right? There can only ever be one phone in an army movie. Only one guy's allowed to have a phone. Normally it's abnormally big, like this, like a brick. And sometimes it's even attached to a backpack, it's so big. So the one guy with the phone, he's like, guys, I'm gonna call for backup, I'm gonna call for an evacuation. And here's another big surprise, which has never happened in an army movie before. There's no reception, right? For some reason, every army movie, there's never reception. He calls, there's no answer on the other side, no signal. And he looks at his other guys. There's a scene in the movie where he looks at his three other colleagues or people on the Marines, and he says, guys, nobody else is coming. Nobody else is coming. It's just us. Nobody else is coming. And I was watching the story and it actually takes quite a sad turn at that point where three of the men die and pass away that early morning. And the man who retells the story got shot three times in the back, got paralyzed from the waist down. And how he survived was crawling through the mountainous territory with just his hands for 10 kilometers to be evacuated the next day. And he retells the story. And I was watching this movie and I kind of did what all Christians do. As you watch a movie, you have to make it Christian. Right? Christians love doing this. You watch a movie, it has to be about God. My sister loves the movie Tangle. It's a Disney movie. She says it displays the whole gospel in an hour and a half. I'm like, okay, I haven't watched it, but I'll take your word for it. People love Lord of the Rings. Apparently, it's a Christian movie. If you have a revelation on it, come and speak to my friend David. He would love to hear your revelation after the service. But I'm like, okay, God. And while I'm watching the movie, I begin to realize that actually, to me, Christianity and the church, I grew up in the church, sometimes Christianity, I felt like those men. Here's what I mean. I felt like I was almost dropped into enemy territory in this world. The Bible says we are of this, we in this world, we're not of this world. So it felt like sometimes I was dropped into enemy territory. 
And then I had two options. I either survive and one day get evacuated, but I don't get evacuated by a helicopter. I get evacuated by Jesus coming on a white horse. And he comes down. That's option one for me. I survive and one day I get evacuated. Option two for me, sometimes feeling as a Christian, the other option was that God needs to send reinforcements for me to win the war that I'm in. He needs to send someone. He needs to send backup. He needs to send something because I'm in trouble in the enemy territory and I need him to send something so that I can advance the kingdom. And again, I began to think about this idea of reinforcements. And I was like, what sometimes do we view as reinforcements for you and I? And I know for me, often from growing up in the church, a thing that I viewed as a reinforcement or what God could send, we often refer to as revival, right? You guys have probably heard the word revival used in church a lot. And I'm not against revival, so don't worry. This isn't a message against revival. Some of you almost stood up and left. I'm not preaching against revival. I love revival. If I asked you what is revival, you'd probably say, Maybe it's seeing people healed or demon cast out, or you might say, well, society being changed, your family being changed, your workplace being changed, amen, it's all of that, and probably more. Government being changed, even maybe nations being changed. Pretty much anything you would say is revival probably fits into that, society being transformed to look like heaven, right? That is what we refer to as revival, and I grew up in charismatic churches, and I love revival, so I've been reading the book of Acts more and more recently. And as I read through the book of Acts, I'm seeing everything that we would call revival. Everything I just spoke about is happening in the book of Acts. Thousands being saved, people being set free, demons coming out, healing taking place. And I'm like, this is revival. But why is there no word revival in the book of Acts then? And as I begin to research it, I realized what I was calling revival, what you probably call revival, in the book of Acts, they just called that Christianity. There's no, there's no word of revival because it's just Christianity in the Bible. What we would call revival was normal Christianity in the Bible. Normal Christianity. So then my question began of why aren't you and I seeing revival? Why aren't we seeing revival? And if you can turn with me, if you have a Bible or an iPhone, if you have a Samsung, keep it in your pocket. This is a holy place. We're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Oh, you guys love Timothy up in here. Oh, even the kid, even the blow thing, that is awesome. Second Timothy chapter 2. Who has a real Bible here today? Hold up a real Bible if you're here. Oh, that looks good. Good to see a real Bible. Okay, here it is. Are you ready? Let's go to uh, verse 4 if that's possible. It says this, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So what this verse is saying here is that nobody that's in the army is going to get caught up in the things of this life. Some translations say in, like in the marketplace and things that are happening every day, you don't want to be caught up in that because you want to please your commanding officer, one who enlisted you as a soldier. And I began to read this and I just started realizing that sometimes in life I can become very easily entangled in the things of this life. What I mean by that is this, we have so much going on, you have a lot going on, you have families, you have work, you have responsibilities, you have things happening in your life. And sometimes because of all of that we can forget that we're actually in an army. Because if you were in a real army and you were on the front line and somebody's shooting bullets at you and you're getting shot at, if you forget for a few days it doesn't go well for you right, you probably die. 
But because sometimes we don't see the immediate effects, sometimes we forget that we're actually all in an army. You enlisted in the army. You're in the army of God. We cannot become entangled in things of this life. The first reason why I believe sometimes you and I don't see revival is simply because we actually aren't available. If you're taking notes, write this down. Availability is your greatest weapon. Availability is your greatest weapon. And here's why. I'll explain. I don't know about you, but I've never gone into a supermarket and I walk in and I'm like, here I am, God, send me. You know, that's easy to do in church, right? It looks awesome. Here I am, God, send me. Somebody shouts it during worship. You're like, amen, God, me too. It's different when you're in Kmart next week. I've never been in Kmart. I don't scream it out either. Please don't scream it out. It looks weird to everybody else. I'm just like, God, here I am, use me. I've never said, God, I'm available. And he said to me, no, there's no one here that needs to be touched by my love today. I haven't had that experience yet. Maybe you have. I hope one day I have it. Every time there's something for me to do. Because even if there's no one that's a non-believer, which is a very low chance, I probably guarantee there's a Christian in there that might just need some encouraging. He always has something for me. But I've realized when I'm used by God, it's because I turn my affections to Him. I become available. And as I'm available, He can use me. Availability is your greatest weapon. See, nobody else is coming because it's on you and I. You and I are called to advance the kingdom. We don't need anything else. We have everything we need. My question to you would be this. What do you still need from God to see revival? Nothing. He's already given you everything. Nobody else is coming. You have what it takes. The key for you and I simply is to become available again to be used by God. To walk through the supermarket and not be so concerned with things of this life that maybe we become entangled in. But just turn our affections to God and say, God, I want to be available. I want to be used by you. Who can I speak to? Who can I encourage in this place? Availability is your greatest weapon. If you can turn me to the book of Acts, we're just going to read one verse. Man, some Bible fans in here. Acts. Oh, no, it didn't work. (laughs) You guys were slow. You fired, Chris, please. I'm joking. Don't you guys love Chris? Woo! Chris, you're a good man. Okay, Acts chapter 8, I want you to put yourselves in the position, sorry, that's, that's, is that verse 26? Acts 8, 26, that is not, uh, there, there we go, I know my Bible. <laughs> I want you to put yourself in the position of this man in the verse here, because we can read this and easily just glance over it, right? Basically, put yourself in the position, tomorrow morning, you chilling with God in the morning, doing your devotion before the kids wake up, or before you go to work at 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, millennials, amen, at some time in the morning, and you're doing your devotions with God, you've got your cup of coffee with the scripture on the cup, the one that you use every morning for devotions, you have your Joyce Myers devotional open, or maybe the Passion Translation in the Psalms. You have something that you're reading in your morning devotion, and while you're doing an angel or God or the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, hey, I want you to get up and walk. Because when I read this, I hate walking or hiking. Can I get an amen? Because you end where you start and you got no cardio. Just my opinion. So I read this and I'm like, God, I have to know how far it is from Jerusalem to Gaza. So I Googled it. I asked Google. Google's never wrong. It's like the news, never wrong. So Jerusalem to Gaza. I Google it, and Google says it's 100 kilometers. 
Okay, this is a plot twist. It's like God waking you up tomorrow morning and saying, hey, I want you to walk to Ballarat. I Googled Ballarat. I didn't know where it was, but it's about 100 kilometers away. So now you put yourself in this position, and not only that, he's very keen to point out, this is desert, just so you know where he's walked. He's like, I don't want you to think this is a nice road in the forest. I'm in the desert. So I read this, and I'm like, okay, Google, one more question for me. How long, because I've never walked 100 kilometers, how long does it take to walk from Jerusalem to Gaza 100 kilometers? And Google, once again, never let me down. Google said it takes two days of walking 16 hours. They're like, dang, that changes the whole story. See, if this was me, I probably might, I probably would have said, okay, God, I'm not called to walk on dirt roads. I'm called to change nations. Number one, God, I have a calling. You've given me prophetic words. I'm called to business. God, have you forgotten the words you've given me? I'm not called to walk on a dirt road. And if I even left the house, which would be a miracle to me, an hour in, I'd be like, okay, God, I'm an hour in now. Can you at least tell me why? Or what I need to bring or how long I'm going for? He doesn't even know why he's going. And if it was me walking an hour into the road towards Ballarat somewhere in the desert, burning, getting a burn, not a tan, a burn. And I'm walking two, three hours. Once I'm three or four hours in, I'm like, okay, God, you have to understand, I have to walk. So I have to walk three hours back, God. Four hours, I have to walk four hours back. Five hours, five hours back. And somewhere on this journey of this 16 times two, maybe it's hour six, maybe it's hour 29, I don't know. But somewhere along the journey of him simply being obedient, not knowing why, God says, go and speak to that man over there. He's on the road, he's walking, not knowing why. He goes and speaks to that man. That man he speaks to ends up getting saved. And that man goes back in a second and charge the nation of Ethiopia, preaches to the queen, and the whole of Ethiopia hears the gospel. See, maybe we've complicated revival. How can we see a nation change? Through simple obedience. We've complicated this. I'm called to business. I'm called to see nations changed. You're called to simple obedience first. Because he could have missed the nation being changed by saying, I'm not called to walk on a dirt road. Simple obedience has great results with God. One conversation can change a nation. We have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to choose to be obedient to you before anything else. Not I'm called to business, I'm not called to speak to someone on the street. Because what if that person God told you to speak to ends up being the next great businessman? And you missed it because you were trying to do it how you wanted to do it. And I've, as I've learned this more and more, I've seen the fruit pay off. Even recently, this happened in in Austria, we were doing an event, and I've had so many words of, oh, you'll know influential people, and that's amazing. I was getting into an elevator in Austria during Awakening Vienna, and this guy climbs out of the car in front of me and is getting into the hotel, walking in front of me. And he just looked like a cool dude, African guy. He looked stylish. I was like, dude, I want to be this guy's friend. He looked cool, and he had an AirPod. If you have AirPods, you are cool. So I'm like, I want to be this guy's friend. So we get into the elevator, and I'm like, how do I become friends? Nice shoes, like, well, how do I start? And God says, tell him, tell him I love him. I'm like, God, I've done this before. It's awkward in elevators. Because you say Jesus loves you, and it's like second floor, third floor. You're just quiet, awkward. Shuts everybody down. So I'm like, Jesus loves you. He's like, okay. And I'm like, okay. Uh, what are you doing in town? 
change the subject quick. He's like, well, tomorrow I'm meeting the president. And I'm like, okay, now I want to be your friend even more. <laughs> so he says he's meeting the president. I'm like, why are you meeting the president? He says because he's playing in a soccer tournament called the EuroLeague Cup. And he plays for the Austrian under-21 team. I'm like, well, that's cool. What's your Instagram name, bro? I'll hit you up on Instagram. I find him on Instagram. I hit that follow button. He follows back. Praise God. And he has a verified blue tick, which is even better. So he follows me back, and then time goes on. And I look through his account. He isn't following that many believers. I'm one of the only ones. And a few days ago, I'm just looking through some of the news, and I see that same person was purchased by a club in one of the biggest leagues in the world, if not the biggest soccer league in the world. And last night, or last night he was playing in that league, and a few weeks ago he was playing in that league again, and he's starting for that team. And I get to have an influence on him from a distance. The same things Pastor Alex is seeing, he's seeing. But that started through me not saying, God, I'm called to influential. I'm not called to speak to someone in an elevator. You call to obedience before you call to anything else. God's going to do it through obedience. See, we think sometimes I need to slide into his DMs and message him, hey, I'm called to mentor you. I need to go to his game and say, hey, bro, God's called me. God doesn't do it how you think he's going to do it. He does it through simple obedience. Because he wants to see if you're obedient to him or you're after the calling. Good word, Dylan. That was good. There was a man. I live in Germany at the moment, if you didn't know. They're a part of Awakening Europe and the town where Ben Fitzgerald and myself actually live, it's a tiny town of about 600 people. We're right near a town of 70,000, so it's not too rural, but right next door to us is a huge town of 2,000, massive. And in that town, they even have a bakery. And I was reading about, I was reading about a man from that town. It was just, he just happened to actually be from that town. It was just a coincidence. But a man from that town whose name was John, he moved from Germany in the 1850s, and he moved to California. He left Germany, he moved to California, and when he rocked up in where we would call Sacramento now, it hadn't been founded yet, when he rocked up in Sacramento, a man was selling his land, and John said, okay, I'll buy your land, why do you want to sell? And the man who was selling his land said, well, I'm moving because I've heard that there's gold in Southern California. I'm leaving here, I'm going to Southern California because I've heard there's gold there. He's like, okay, all the best luck. Go to Southern California, do your thing. John buys this land. The man that moves away, we never hear from him again. I don't think he found gold. And John moves into this property and keeps farming and doing his thing. And a year or two later, his daughter runs in and puts mud in front of the fireplace. I don't know why he let his daughter put mud in front of the fireplace, but he did. And when the mud started to dry out, because that's what fire does to mud, if you didn't know, it started to dry out. And the gold started to appear in the mud. True story. Gold starts to appear in the mud, and he realizes that in the river on the land that he purchased, there's gold. The other guy left it, there's gold. And to this day, that piece of property in the 1850s is the piece of property that started the Californian gold rush. That one property has amassed over $40 million worth in gold. To this day, there's someone that's a one-third part owner in the land, and that person from one-third part ownership makes $20 every 15 minutes, $80 an hour, $2,000 a day, $60,000 a month from that piece of land. And the man left it to look for gold somewhere else. I read that story and I couldn't help but think about the story of the prodigal son. Many of us in this room would know the story of the prodigal son. What happens is 
There's a son who says to his wealthy dad, dad, I want my inheritance now. The grass is greener somewhere else. Often we can do that. We think the grass is greener somewhere else. We want to go somewhere else. He takes his inheritance. He goes out to live his best life, to party, to be with his friends. And the story goes, as many of us would know, he blows all his inheritance to the point of where he ends up sleeping with pigs. Not, not ideal for anyone. And it gets worse, the fact that he actually ends up sleeping with pigs, but eating the pig's food as well. And while he's eating the pig's food, he has this thought in his head of, even the servants on my dad's farm are treated better than me right now. I'm going back to my father. And he goes back to his father. And while that's all happening, the older brother who never left, who's still faithfully serving on the farm, every day he's serving, thinking that younger brother was stupid to leave with his inheritance. He's blown it. I'm going to serve faithfully. I'm one day going to receive what he received. I'm one day going to have access to what he had access to. And I'm probably going to have more because I've been a faithful servant. And the story goes that the younger brother comes back ashamed and the, and, and the dad runs out to meet him, which is a beautiful picture of you and I. If, if you're in here and you don't know God or you've walked away and today you came in a little bit ashamed, I want you to know that God's not ashamed that you're coming back, but rather he's running out to meet you this morning. It's a picture of you that you might come here with your head down thinking God doesn't love you and maybe just even to be a servant, but he's like, no, you're my son, I love you, I'll give you everything I have. And what happens in the story is, the older, when the younger brother comes home, the dad says, kill the biggest cow. We're going to have the best steak we've got. Praise God for steak. And in Luke 15, we're going to pick up what happens. I like that. Chris, you need to just travel with me. I could take some of that enthusiasm. So here in Luke 15, no, we aren't going that far back. So let's start in verse 28. So here we have a conversation between the older brother and the dad once he comes back. Verse 28. It says, but he was angry speaking about the older brother and he would not go into the party. Because he was annoyed that, he did, that the younger brother didn't deserve the party. And his father came out to plead with him, to argue with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been working for you. I never did anything wrong against you at any time. And yet you never gave me a, a young goat. He just liked goats. Then I might make merry and party with my friends. Back then they partied with goats. So next verse. <laughs> but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood, who basically wasted your stuff with harlots, that's prostitutes basically. When he came, he didn't deserve it, but you killed the best steak for him. That's my translation. <laughs> Go to the next verse for me. This is the verse. Wait, is that the right one? No, one back. Verse 31. Oh, here we go. And this is what he says to his son. Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Now see, the reason I brought this story up and why this reminded me of the gold story is because you see two people that are looking for something that they already have access to. And I wonder sometimes if you and I have been viewing revival the same way. We've been waiting to find gold. We've been waiting to receive gold. We've been searching for it. We've been waiting for God to give us access to something. And God's saying you've had access all along. Nobody else is coming because you have what it takes. We've got to stop waiting on God to send something. You already have everything you need to advance the kingdom of God. We sometimes think we need to wait on God to have a move. He's waiting for us to move. 
It's not in God's hand. God gave us responsibility of the earth. He made us his hands and feet. He's given us the role to advance his kingdom. If you pray for people to come to church, God's like, amen, I'm going to bring, use you to bring people to church. Nobody else is coming. He's not going to send something else because you don't need anything else. You already have the Holy Spirit. He's not going to send revival. You already have access to it. We've been waiting to receive something from God like the older brother, but God's saying to you today, you've had access to it all along. We don't need God to send something. You and I, we just need to change our perspective. We have access to revival. We have access to God. We have access to everything we need to advance the kingdom. Nobody else is coming. Nobody else is coming. It's on you and I to advance the kingdom. Nobody else is coming. Here's two of the main reasons I believe we aren't experiencing revival. Number one, no one joins the army to watch the war. Nobody joins the army to watch the war. You aren't in this army to watch the war. I put that out on Instagram and someone replied, but there's cooks in the army. And I said back, there's no cooks in the army of God. We all call to the front line. We can't become entangled things of this life. You can jump up on the keys. So I feel more anointed if the keys, oh, there we go. Some of you thought that was a joke. Wait for the keys to start. You'll soon realize. No, that, that wasn't the... Look, you, you ruined it. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> so the first main reason we don't see revival is because we simply haven't been available. So if you're taking notes, those are the two things I want you to write down. We, availability is our greatest weapon. Number two, we've been waiting to receive something we've had access to all along. No one joins the army to watch the war. And then God said this to me. He said, nobody becomes a Christian to be a spectator. See, if, if we're going to advance the kingdom, it's not God doing something. It's you and I moving. He's given us the Holy Spirit. You can heal the sick. You can cast out demons. But you have to be willing to leave your comfort zone. You know that the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a comforter. If you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see the Holy Spirit move in your life, you don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. Good word, Dylan. That was powerful. You don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. If you want to see God move in your life, leave your comfort zone. Because I came to tell you today from Germany that nobody else is coming. If you want to see your workplace change, you can do it. If you want to see your households change, you can do it. If you want to see your cities and your government change, you can do it. Christ in you, the hope of glory is God's answer to Australia. No one else is coming. No one else is coming because you don't need anything else. You have what it takes to change your workplace, your city, and your nation. Can you stand for me? Nobody else is coming. You have access to revival. There's been gold on your property all along. All we have to do is change our perspective. Realize we have access to revival. Realize that we aren't of this world, but we're in this world. No one else is coming because we have the Holy Spirit. We have what we need to see Christianity like it was in the book of Acts. We don't need to wait on God. We need to start to move and God will move through us. And this isn't just for an evangelist because it didn't say the evangelist, these signs will follow. It said believers. I'm a believer, you're a believer. And we have to make a choice every morning, every day to say, God, I'm available to advance your kingdom. Simple obedience sees nations change. We can close our eyes. Holy Spirit, we love you so much. You know, right now, even while your eyes are closed, I'd encourage you just to turn your affections towards God. Maybe even say, God, I'm sorry that there's been times where I haven't been available. 
Some of you maybe have found yourself getting entangled in the things of this world. Forgetting that you're on the front lines, forgetting that you're in an army. And you don't need someone to pray for you because no one else can make that choice for you to be available. It's a choice that you have to continually make. God, give us grace to continually be available to you, to turn our affections to you, to be used by you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the privilege that we actually get to advance your kingdom every day. That God, when we step out in a small obedient act that sometimes nations can be changed or lives can be changed through our simple obedience to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Before we close the service, I want us to pray for each other for healing right now. Each one of you are gonna pray for each other in this moment. And when we pray in just a moment, it's not gonna be begging God to heal. I've got good news for you. It was actually God's idea to heal the sick. You didn't ask for that promise. I didn't ask for that promise. He gave it to me in Mark 16 before I was born. It was His idea. He said to me, lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. And He said the same to each person in this room. You didn't ask for it. God promised it to you. So when we heal, we aren't going to beg God to heal someone because Jesus didn't pray like that. He spoke to the sickness. He spoke to the pain. He spoke to the spirit and He commanded it to leave. So we're going to do the same in Jesus' name. We aren't going to pray passively, hoping that God will come in and do something. But you're actually going to speak to the pain, believing that you have authority over the pain. And then God will move through you and the pain will leave. Are you with me? So we're going to pray with authority, not passively. So if you need healing in this room, I want you to shoot your hand up right now. Any healing, it can be... Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. For more messages like this and other resources and information, go to our website, firechurch.com.au.